you know, when I was a child, I grew up in uh, North Alabama in uh, 1960s. You know, 1962, I was born. Um, and, uh, you know, it sounds odd in the year 2009 to talk about 1960s. But uh, it's, it's very uh, germane to the story. Uh, back in 1962-ish, I mean, that, that time when I was born, all the way up until... Um, I was in elementary school. One of the profound memories I have is listening to the radio and Dr. Martin Luther King speaks. Now, uh, I know for most kids, Dr. Martin Luther King is just an historical figure, and historical figures tend to grab a place of legendary status and don't really, really expose themselves to, to our real present-day mindset. You know, we really don't look at them as if they really existed at all, if you think about it, because we only focus on a few items that happened in their life, and we apply them to every day, and we think that Martin Luther King was only about the I Have a Dream speech, or the Martin Luther King was only about an assassination, but beyond that, he was just a great man that we talk about, but he had a life, and in his life, I recall you know, a program called Martin Luther King Speaks. And what you would hear on those programs would, would be his sermons. And I remember, you know, a lot of his sermons. Now, they really affected me because I grew up in a little two-room house. A hot, well, for much of my early life, you know, uh, you know, those few years first, you know, uh, probably uh, eight to ten years, our house only had two rooms, and uh, up until probably the age of 10 or 11, we had an outhouse. And if you don't know what an outhouse is, an outhouse, you know, it's where you, you, you go outside, you leave the comfort of your house, and you go outside, and you use the bathroom in what looks like a shed pretty much into a hole in the ground. Uh, when you use the bathroom inside the house, you had a pot that you had to use the bathroom in and you would have to go and empty it, you know. So, you know, certainly not the most sanitary thing. Having two rooms uh, meant that, you know, one of those rooms you had to do your business in. In our in our particular house you know we had that was the kitchen the first room if you walked into the house the front room had uh two beds you know one bed uh, and i imagine it was probably maybe a queen size bed that my mother and my father slept in and then a little cot that me and my older sister slept in you know for heating in the house we had a wood stove in the uh in the front room and then in the kitchen in the kitchen we had a wood stove a wood stove in the kitchen uh you know and it was just very very sparse you know so you know when you use the bathroom you had to use it in the kitchen you know in the little pot and those were those early years later of course we got a bathroom uh and we add additional rooms added onto the house, uh, you know, i.e. two bedrooms and actually three bedrooms. But, you know, if you consider the fact 
that, you know, the house, those rooms were added by, uh, you know, just basically, you know, people who had a little bit of construction skill, you know, no professional contract, just the odd doors ended up, ended up being fairly odd shaped and you'd have to use, uh, curtains or, or other things for, for doors, you know, uh, you know, we still own that house uh, as, as a rental house, and I'd love one day to go back and take pictures and, and post it on this podcast, well, post it on the website. But anyway, I'm telling that story to just to let you know that I had a very, very uh, uh, sparse upbringing, and it gave me a sense, you know, as a young black man in, in North Alabama in the 60s where you know, race was really a very uh, significant part of your life. It was, it was all around you. And I paid attention to stuff. I remember in, uh, you know, entering the first grade, I entered the first grade at Miller Elementary. And in, in my city, Miller Elementary was, you know, an all black elementary school right there in the center of town. And uh, you had Trinity High School, which was right across the street from it. Another all-black school. Now, they were dead, almost directly in the center of the city. You know, but they were also uh, very much inside the, the black community. You know, and we're talking about a little small town in North Alabama, which, you know, there was really no real crime. There's real, really no real issues other than the fact that, you know, the city had the typical problems that, that you had in the South. There was years and years. I remember it wasn't until I was probably 11 or 12 before, you know, the, the city actually brought, you know, the city sewer system, you know, into, into my neighborhood, you know. Uh, you know, so it was uh, just pretty much a typical South. You know, there were the haves and the have-nots. And the have-nots, you know, race was very much a determinant. You know, if you consider the arguments and the issues that you'd have being a have-not, there's the fact that you're paying taxes just like everyone else. You just weren't getting the city services. And I don't know if it was a, you know, if it was a, you know, a government thing. City, you know, the federal government got involved and, and forced them to do it. I don't know. I mean, all that stuff is not really germane to the story. But I just want you to understand that, that, that I was very, very conscious of what I had and I didn't have. And, and, and to that end, you know, it is hard to convince me uh, that that all is done and there are no issues because those who, who try to convince you that all is done will never acknowledge that there was no issue at all. But anyway, on to the story. I, I like to call this uh, the irony of self-esteem because, you know, it, it is very... Uh, it was a profound event in my life. Uh, you know, uh, I, I recall watching the NAACP Image Awards, and this was, you know, uh, probably, you know, 79, late 80s, well, early 80s, you know, because uh, I entered the military in 1980. And at that time, I went in because I was the first uh, you know, though I had college, college was definitely 
uh, a great potential for me. You know, I was a pretty successful student. You know, National Honor Society, Mu Alpha Theta, Math Honor Society. Uh, you know, good grades. You know, uh, athletic. Well, okay, I was on the team. Uh, you know, played a little bit. But, you know, I was a very active student and very, very determined to leave, you know, my city and make a difference. You know, I've always, you know, been one who believed that, you know, beyond the talk, you got to do something. And I'm, I've never really been impressed by those warriors who are not willing to leave, you know, who are willing not to go out and actually participate in the struggle, you know. So God bless you if you talk a good game, but you got to walk something anyway. Uh, but anyway, I was I was watching the NAACP Image Awards about that time, and it struck me that the award recipients seemed to be all stars, movie stars, you know, actors, uh, you know, athletes, and and I was thinking, you know, I, I don't see anybody in here. Of substance, I you know I, I just didn't you know and and granted I'm I'm telling you this whole uh, story so it's definitely not a criticism of of the NAACP it's just where my mind was at that time and I'm telling you this because I want you to understand where my mind is right now but anyway I noticed you know I, I said man you know no one uh, of substance is here you know where are the you know the preachers and the and the and the, you know, the, the civil rights fighters and those people who are struggling to make a difference and to, and to, uh, and are out there on the, on the battlefield and, and the civil rights attorneys, you know, where are all of them? Why are they not getting awards? You know, that, that's what, that's what I was thinking, you know, and, and I, and I, it troubled me for many, many years because all I saw in front of me was not. You know, anyone who was tattered down and torn and beaten. But all I was seeing were people in nice suits, you know, nice glittery dresses. And uh, I, I, I was saying, you know, this, this is just not, you know, really, really representative of our real struggle. That, that is what I was thinking. Well, fast forward. We're going to go forward to the year, and I'm pretty certain about this year, this was the, the particular year that this happened. This was 1989. Why do I know 1989? Because in 1989, I had been in the Navy at that time about nine years, you know, nine years. Uh, I had uh, many, many travels, many, many struggles. Well, you know, struggles. I, I, I entered the, the Navy in 1980 and I went to, you know, went to Orlando and then I entered uh, the Navy nuclear training pipeline. You know, in just about every place that I went, I was the one of the only blacks. You know, as a matter of fact, it was such a strange thing to a lot of people uh, when I finally qualified, you know, and I got my nuclear classification. They went, you know, it is so strange. I'd never thought I'd ever see a black man sitting uh, in in the control chair to a nuclear reactor. I just never seen that. You know, people were frank and, and honest. You know, and, and and I knew that, and I figured that was a great responsibility. I, I recognized that not only was I representing, you know, 
all of the people who have the skill and the talent and the potential to sit in that chair and do that particular job. But I was also representing all the people who would do it in the future. You know, I mean, there was that concept and that perception that we were not good enough, smart enough. And, you know, and, and that was not only perpetrated by those who who had nefarious ideas, but it was also uh, perpetrated by us, you know, us as a people. You know, we didn't try because we believed. And, and honestly, you know, we, we weren't prepared because, you know, schools didn't necessarily prepare us. Why? Because they would take, you know, the, 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 the exploits and the history, you know, and the actions of previous people. And, and they would apply to the rest. So, you know, uh, so, you know, I'd spent the, these years overcoming, you know, and, and doing the best I could to represent, you know, all African-Americans who would, who, who would be part of the Navy's nuclear program after me. And, and, you know, and of course they did, uh, come in, the program expanded, and now it's just an everyday thing. It's not a big deal to see, you know, a, a, a black person in the nuclear program in the Navy at any, in any level. But anyway, in, by 1989, I had, I had entered the program, been to the program. I would uh, lived in, in the South and, and did many, many schools and, and then eventually went over to the West Coast, you know, did more schooling, went to uh, the great Northwest, you know, in the Seattle and the Bremerton area. And, and I actually had a leadership role, uh, you know, and uh, so I was feeling pretty, pretty good, pretty confident, pretty successful and, and very thankful, you know, the God that allowed me to overcome a whole lot of things. Well, in, in 1989, this, this time period that I'm talking about, uh, a buddy of mine, and actually, this was the fall of 88 because it was football season. Uh, a buddy of mine had, had gotten out of the Navy uh, just prior to that. And he had a job at a, at a company in Pennsylvania, in Philadelphia uh, specifically. And the company, and, and he, he'd uh, talked to his company and he gave me uh, a good inside track on on getting a job interview with the company so uh you know i accepted the interview they flew me out you know i flew out you know it was a big deal for me you know uh you know flew out the the, the night before landed at the airport you know they, they they had arranged a rental car for me i took my rental car went to the hotel after the hotel, you know, that that night at the hotel, I prepared for the interview. Uh, that next morning, I went to the interview. I uh, had a great interview. And because I had to check out of the hotel prior to the interview, uh, and also flying out that ex exact same day, uh, I, I my choices were to change out of the suit that I was wearing and uh, either at the airport or just wear it home. And that's what I, I uh, decided to do. I decided to just take my, my suit that I was wearing and, uh, you know, just 
wear it on the plane. Just take off my jacket, relax myself a little bit. Well, so I'm, I'm at the airport. You know, I uh, did the interview, went, you know, to the to, to baggage check-in, checked in my baggage and, and went, you know, to the gate, waiting on the plane. You know, had a couple hours. You know, had my little briefcase for my from my interview, wearing my suit, and I decided to go get me a bite to eat. And I went into one of the uh, little restaurants in in the in the area, you know, of my gate, and got picked up a tray, got me some food, and near the checkout line there was an, an ice machine and sodas, and I picked up a cup and I put the cup, you know, in the ice machine, and I got no ice from it, you know, and I looked uh, at people prior to me, and, and they had ice, and I figured, okay, so there must be some way to make ice come out of this ice machine. There, there was an elderly black woman at the end of the cash register, you know, at the end of the row at the cash register, she just watched me, and then there was also a young girl, black man, I think in his... You know, that time I was in my, uh, uh, you know, my, in my late 20s, you know, uh, and there was a, he was a little bit older than me, I'd say probably in his 30s, and he walked over and he helped me, he helped me manipulate the ice machine so that uh, I could get some ice, and then he looked at the elderly black woman who, you know, she, she kind of scowled, you know, it was, it was, it was kind of, it was just kind of, uh, anyway, I was kind of taken aback at, at how she scowled at me and she scowled at him and he said why didn't you help him get ice and she said and I'll forever remember exactly her words because you know they, they cut like a knife and, and, and it was one of those moments in my life when when it all just kind of fits together you know it was almost like the culmination it's like god was giving me a 10-year sermon and, and the last words were given on that day she said you know i don't say nothing to mister i went huh huh It, it hit me that the reason that she didn't help me is because she looked at me. She looked at my appearance. She saw the fact that I had on a nice suit. She saw the fact that I had on uh, nice shoes. I was carrying a briefcase. Dressed pretty clean. And she made a snap decision. She judged me. She she didn't look at me and see any of my struggles. She didn't look at me and understand that, that you know, I'd spent my life in, in my way fighting for her and fighting for my people and fighting for my future. She didn't look at me and see the God in me. She didn't look at me and see my wants and my dreams or look at me and understand that, you know, my goodness, I loved her and I would I would do whatever I could to to help her because 
that is that is in my nature and that is my love and that is my concern she did not look at me and see anything except my suit and when she looked at my suit and my clothes she instantly dismissed me huh so then i rolled back i rolled back in my mind to how i'd viewed what i'd seen before when i watched the NAACP image awards you know, I viewed those people and I looked at them and I made a judgment based on the fact that they were wearing clothes that were nice and shiny, you know, that they had all this success and I, and I very much dismissed their struggles because, you know, the thing that that had to be true, it had to be true and I found out later that it is true. It is never easy, you know, in, in Hollywood and TV or anything to be that one because you know you think about it for every one person who is successful you know on television or in anything you know there are hundreds if not thousands who've tried you know so in, in order to be the top of your craft you've got to fit into that role and you've got to do whatever it takes and you've got to struggle and I understand that in your struggle you know, that, that, that you're going to give, especially when you have a positive result. And let's face it, the positive result in, in, in Hollywood and business is money. If you create a cash return, then you're successful. You know, we may scoff at rappers, scoff at, at, at people who, who, who tell jokes in a bad way. But, you know, the bottom line is, inside that craft they're doing what they must do in order to be uh successful you know so really it's not about me and it's not about you it is about how we relate to the world around us i call that that story you know the irony of self-esteem why because you know we must get beyond the the need to judge other people because we don't have a right we don't know enough about anybody we really don't you know i mean we we may take exceptions to their actions and we certainly have the right to criticize and and rise up against actions but we really don't need to demean the intent or the character of a person to do that I think that most often when you do that, that is a greater reflection on your own sense of own inadequacies, biases, and insecurities than it is on anything else. So that day, that day was a profound day, and I'll forever remember it. You know, and, and as miffed as I may be at that little old lady who disrespected me, I'm also thankful. I'm thankful that she uttered those words because it helped me to remind, it helped remind me that in my own way, I was no different than her. I was really no different. You know, I was taking my time. Uh, I was spending my time uh, not giving people credit for their struggles in their own battles. So what do you do? Well, I think the thing that we need to do is we need to, one, live our own lives, live it the best that we can, and give encouragement to our brothers. If I see my brother doing wrong, then I'll encourage him to do right. 
if my if I see my brother doing right, I'll encourage him to continue to do right. But what I will not do is allow myself, my own inadequacies and my own weaknesses to diminish him or diminish you. That makes sense? I hope so. This is Unpopular Harvest.